Today's news begins with this story of a cure. Dr Cranford Matthews reports the case of a young man who had been suffering from asthma for several years and had been in the habit of cutting short the attacks by the use of a preparation containing cocaine, which never failed to afford him instant, though temporary, relief. The doctor found the patient's heart very much weakened by the repeated attacks. The slightest exertion brought upon palpitation and shortness of breath and he could only, with the greatest difficulty, get upstairs. He ordered him, during his next acute attack, to spray into the nose a solution of adrenaline chloride. Within ten minutes of the first application of the adrenaline, he was completely eased and remained so for the remainder of the day. Subsequently, during each attack, he used the spray with complete success. Other cases are also noted to show the utility of this treatment. This story of changing from random drugs to evidence-based medicine comes to us from the Northern Star in Lismore. For May 21, 1910, this was the news. This was the news is a fortnightly podcast that takes the news from this date many years ago and shares it with you in one news update. With all the news that's worth repeating, I'm Broderick Matthews, bringing you stories from a time before Trump. Today's episode of This Was The News is bringing us everything that was fit to print back on this date in 1910. And on May 21st, there's quite a sombre mood in the papers, as we are a nation in mourning, in fact a British empire in mourning mourning the death of King Edward VII. A day of mourning in Brisbane with 30,000 citizens present was reported as follows in the Brisbane Courier. A grey sky with a few glimpses of the eternal blue that spoke of the bright beyond. A soft wind that came in sobbing gusts across the open spaces and played aeolian music in the quivering treetops, and the occasional glint of sunshine that gilded the housetops and glowed in the windows like molten fire, alternating with shadows that lined the landscape in grey and black. Such was nature's mood in Brisbane yesterday afternoon. It was in keeping with the sadness of the day, Britannia and her children overseas mourned the loss of a great king whose mortal remains were that day to be laid in their resting place. At first, singly and in scattered groups, then growing to a steady stream that swelled in volume as the clock ticked away the fleeting minutes, the people surged across the exhibition grounds, filling the new grandstand and lining the ring in dense masses while 4,000 children crowded to overflowing the old grandstand, and with the hot fire of youthful blood coursing through their veins, moved restlessly to and fro, awaiting the commencement of the service. Black and purple tokens of mourning were everywhere, and very many of those present wore violets. A bar of the national anthem betokened the arrival of His Excellency, the Governor, the king's representative, and the vast concourse of people rose and bared their heads. A pause, and then, O God, our help in ages past, 
our hope for years to come, our shelter from the stormy blast and our eternal home. It was the hymn that was sung when the king, who was now dead, was crowned in Westminster Abbey, and the grand old music melodies by a hundred instruments and voiced by the assembled thousands rolled upwards towards the heavens. This story from the Barrier Miner in Broken Hill, reporting out of London on the work unpacking the wreaths in tribute to King Edward VII. Fifty men worked day and night unpacking the wreaths, Half a dozen vans plied ceaselessly between Windsor Castle and the station. About 6,000 arrived and three marquees were full of them. Practically every regiment in the army sent a wreath. One was from the members of the Shackleton Antarctic Expedition Party. The news on the nation in mourning continues with this poetic piece from The Age in Melbourne. An air of solemnity was the predominating note in the metropolis yesterday, despite the immensity of the crowds that thronged the streets and the consequent difficulty in regulating the traffic. Almost every place of business was closed. Tens of thousands of Melbourne residents and visitors paraded the main thoroughfares, and almost without exception, signs of mourning were visible in the attire worn. Ladies, for the most part, were in black, many wearing crepe and other tokens of deep mourning, while black neckties and memorial badges were common to almost every man and boy. The scene at Parliament House was one long to be remembered. From the vice-regal dais, the bright uniforms of the King's representatives, the foreign consuls and the naval and military forces provided a splendid foreground to the vast sea of upturned faces and uncovered heads stretching away down Burke Street until lost to view on the slope beyond Exhibition Street and to the right and left along Spring Street, far beyond the range of the vision of the invited guests standing on the broad stairway of the noble edifice. The most impressive feature of the whole service was the intensity of the silence when the mass band ceased to play and the voices of the combined choirs became still. It was a magnificent tribute to the esteem and love in which the late monarch was held by his subjects in the overseas dominions. As the shades of night began to fall, the minute guns boomed forth in mournful regularity. The sun dipped below the horizon and officially Australia had paid her final tribute to a much-beloved king. It's hard to imagine such an immense outpouring of the entire population to the death of King Edward VII, but it really was in every single paper and mourning in different ways across the nation. This piece from the Bunbury Herald in Western Australia talks about a mourning window. The art of window dressing has been brought strongly into evidence at the establishment of Messrs Harrison Draper in Victoria Street, Bunbury. A masterpiece in mourning drapes having been accomplished in connection with the death of Edward VII of Britain. The symbolical scheme comprises purple and black, artistically draped, the foreground being puffed with white silk, behind which is the motto, The Nation Mourns worked in white letters on a purple ground with border of white flowers. 
a pedestal bearing a crown of purple and white flowers surmounted by a Maltese cross in gold and two draped photographs of the late king complete the principal features in a striking and appropriate ensemble. And on that note of a wonderful way to remember King Edward VII, let's have a short break. When in Dorigo, give the coffee palace a trial. Good accommodation for man and beast. Meals at all hours. Socials and picnics catered for. Afternoon teas a specialty. All kinds of cordials. Civility and attention will be our motto. Private room for ladies, public and private tables. The Dorigo Coffee Palace in Dorigo. Yes, it is the basis of perfection in corsets, but the cut must be anatomically and scientifically perfect so that true gift and style is assured. In addition to these qualities, a good corset, like the famous French Royal PD Rustless corsets, has every particle of material so pieced together under strict medical supervision that each pair is hygienically modelled, ensuring the health and comfort of the wearer, in addition to imparting a figure of exquisite gracefulness and symmetry. Royal PD corsets are famous for their beauty of construction and great wearing qualities. None genuine without the world-famous trademark. Take no other. Ask your draper and storekeeper for Royal PD rustless corsets. Welcome back to This Was The News for May 21, 1910. This piece comes from the Brisbane Courier, talking about the telephonic O. The innocent regulation of the telephone authorities requiring subscribers calling up numbers containing the cipher zero to pronounce that cipher O has led to the intrusion of the custom in quite unexpected quarters. Commercial language is apt even to creep into church proceedings as, for instance, the recorded announcement of a Presbyterian preacher, an accountant in ordinary life, that the next hymn would be two nothing for. At a recent highly successful evangelistic revival, one frequently heard such concise announcements as hymn one two four, when less hurried and more solemn considerations might have suggested one hundred and twenty and four. At the quarter sessions on recently, Judge Murray objected to the use of the telephonic diction by witnesses in his court. In this court, he intimated, 408 is not 408, but 408. Hmm, back in 1910, when uh, people were a bit strict on how you said the numbers, and you had to say them clearly if you wanted to dial the right person. Moving on to another interesting piece of 1910 news about a car appearing in the Daily Telegraph, all these people wanting to know. A prominent Sydney motorist was driving along one of the city streets a few days ago when his car stopped. As usual, when anything happens, a crowd surrounded the car and the motorist was kept busy replying to questions. In his replies, he said something to the following effect. It is a motor car. It has not broken down, only lost a spark. It was made in England. It weighs 18 counterweight. It costs under £10,000. Please don't all lean on me. The tyres are blown up with air. 
Do you mind me walking round to the box to get a spanner? They are acetylene gas lamps. I know some use kerosene. She will climb any hill. Please don't crowd in as I don't feel too well today. Yes, she'll be all right directly. She does anything between one yard and fifty miles per hour. Don't scratch your name on the enamel, there's a good boy. Don't go. Someone has gone to fetch some chairs so you can all sit down. No, it can't blow up. Then he turned the handle and breathed a sigh of relief as the engine started. Putting in his clutch with a bang, he raced away from the interested crowd. Speaking of noisy crowds, this piece on rowdyism at weddings appeared in The Leader from Orange, New South Wales. A report is to hand of the disgraceful conduct at weddings recently solemnised at Bathurst. The most recent display of misconduct was witnessed in Bathurst South a few nights ago, when girls were the chief offenders. Many of them, in their anxiety to get a glimpse of the bridal party, stood upon the seats of the church and kept up such a din of conversation, punctuated with outbursts of laughter, that the officiating clergyman was obliged to stop the service three times and to appeal to the offenders to keep order. Comparative silence followed, but a few minutes before the close of the ceremony, a small boy poked his head through the back window and calling out, You're the one! Crazy behaviours at the time at a wedding. In slightly more scientific news from the Orange Leader, though, this piece on Halley's Comet. The head of Halley's Comet is now 62,000 miles in diameter and is generally spherical in form. After the 22nd instant, the comet will be visible in the northwest sky and for at least 10 or 15 days will be a beautiful object. On the 23rd, when it may be visible, its distance from us will be 18,865,000 miles. The piece continues with international news on the comet. Many Parisians stayed up all night, some feasting, others praying, in expectation of the end of the world. French astronomers saw nothing of the comet. Religious fanatics at Oklahoma, USA, seized a girl, 16 years of age, clothed her in spotless white, and were about to sacrifice her to the comet when the police interfered. Finally, many families in Constantinople withdrew their children from school in order that all should be together when the end of the world came. Quite interesting to think of Halley's Comet as a harbinger of doom. Luckily for us, it's not happening in 2020 and isn't due again until 2062. Moving on to other news, though, the Advertiser in Adelaide reports on the French government's ban on their railway network. A new interdiction is now to be placarded in stations of the lines managed by the state. The next time you hunt for the proper booking office, you will read De Fonce de Sombrasser, or in English, Forbidden to Kiss. As maybe you had not at that particular instant intended kissing anybody, though of course one never knows what may not come into one's head, you will probably be surprised. Having at last got your ticket, found the right platform and discovered your train, you will read once more in white on the blue ground, kissing strictly forbidden. Why should kissing be forbidden? Why this infringement upon the liberties of the citizen in a free republic? Is the state turned Uncle Geed, or has it caught the scare of bacterial infection? Surely the most respectable state in the world need not mind just one kiss, 
and the most grandmotherly legislation need not assume responsibility for measles caught by a passenger through osculation. It is strictly forbidden to exchange kisses upon the platforms or in the waiting rooms, though, or upon the steps of the carriages of the state railways, owing to the delays frequently occasioned by the prevalence of this dilatory practice which is calculated to disturb the proper running of the traffic upon the system by retarding the departure of the trains, and which is thus fraught with inconvenience and even danger to the public, as the first condition of safe travelling is punctuality. Persons discovered kissing will be liable to prosecution. Now we know why every train on the French state railways is always late. There was so much kissing when it was due to start that it could not get off in time. On that salivatory note, let's have a short break. One of the sweetest features of human life is to watch a beautiful girl, young, straight-limbed and fair of feature, develop into early womanhood. Unfortunately, at this time, owing to the organic change taking place, girls often become weak and anemic. If they do not have special attention, most dangerous symptoms may ensue. The Ladies' College of Health puts forward a treatment that helps young girls over this trying time and carries them forward to robust womanhood. The treatment is inexpensive and has restored young girls all over Australia to sound health. Send Tuppence postage for a book telling all about the treatment. Address Department BD Ladies' College of Health, 177 Liverpool Street, Sydney. Bonington's Irish Moss, the safe and sure remedy which is guaranteed free from morphia or other harmful narcotic drugs. Bonington's is a real cough and cold cure. It has been in use nearly half a century and the sales are increasing year by year. Refuse substitutes. Take only Bonington. Welcome back to This Was The News. Today we're finishing off with some social and entertainment pieces from May 21st, 1910. This social evening was reported in the Don Dorigo Gazette and Guy Fawkes Advocate from New South Wales. An exceedingly pleasant evening was spent at the Methodist Church on Tuesday night, which took the form of a social tendered to the newly formed Young People's Association by the Methodist Ladies' Society. About 50 or 60 persons were present. Perhaps one of the most interesting items of the evening was that of the installation of members into the Dorcaeus Society, of which Mr R. Kennedy proved an adept initiatory officer. Some eight or nine persons were told off to the porch to await their respective turn of initiation. Each one upon entering had his or her attention drawn to a spoon and saucer containing currants in the hands of the officer and after a little palaver, was requested to eat same, and so become a full-fledged member of the society. But the currents would never reach their expected destination, for as the mouth was about to receive them, the chief's hand would write about and transform them to his own mouth and demolish them, to the consternation of the would-be consumer and merriment of onlookers. Each of the remaining persons met with the same fate in their desire to become members of the noble body. The chief enjoyed the proceedings thoroughly, 
but whether it was due to the good feed of currents he had or the funny position his subordinates were placed in, we don't know. (laughs) What a current affair. Interestingly, another game that provoked a good deal of laughter that evening was the reading of several participators' last will and testaments. Sounds like a grand evening indeed. Sounds like a grand evening indeed. Let's finish off with this piece on what was happening in the Adelaide Town Hall from the Advertiser in South Australia. The last two nights of the exhibition of animated pictures by the Wondergraph are announced and the last performance of this excellent entertainment will be given on Monday evening. Throughout the week, excellent attendances have been recorded and the pictures have been conceded to be among the best yet seen in Adelaide. The change of program on Wednesday evening has met with universal approval and this evening, new films will be exposed to public view. In addition to the pictures, the company submits a large number of singing pictures and these have met with great approval of the audiences. Every detail in the interpretation of the various songs has been minutely studied and they should become very popular. The exhibition of the pictures by the aid of the Silver Wall and the introduction of the Fata Morgana increased the interest in the scenes considerably. There's folks there talking about high technology back in 1910, the Silver Wall which provided a better reflection of the picture and the Fata Morgana showing strange mirages up on the screen. The article continues on. The films are the best procurable and the subjects are chosen with a view to educate and amuse. In particular, the coloured pictures are of special interest. The colourings are all natural and they exhibit an artistic finish seldom seen. (laughs) What a high-tech evening indeed. Coloured film at the Adelaide Town Hall. And closing the paper on that piece of entertainment news, we come to the end of today's news bulletin. For May 21, 1910, this was the news. This Was The News is a podcast spoken and edited by Broderick Matthews. All source material is taken from the reference newspapers and found online through the National Library of Australia's Trove website. Links to each of the articles mentioned today can be found in the show notes. The theme music is from Beethoven's Symphony No. 6 and sourced under public domain from museopen.org. If you enjoyed today's show, make sure to subscribe and review it on iTunes, Spotify or your favourite podcasting app. This Was The News can be followed on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram and any email correspondence should be sent to thiswasthenews at gmail.com. Thank you for listening to today's episode. The next episode will be out in a fortnight, released on Thursday 4 June. I'm Broderick Matthews, and this was The News.